we have our Emily Post gospel today. Um, you know, I could have said that in the South and everyone would have nodded their heads immediately. I, I don't know about New York. Did everyone grow up here knowing who Emily Post was? Yeah, okay, okay, okay. So she did. She wrote the, the standard on etiquette. Uh, and I hadn't heard of her till I moved to Arkansas during college. Because growing up, growing up in Kansas, manners don't have many frills. It's there. Children don't interrupt adults when talking, for instance, but they never curtsied. Um, if the silverware was clean, it didn't really matter where it was set. We ate on paper plates, elbows always on the table. The Carswell dinner time is mostly silent due to the unabashed vigor with which we all eat. I never wrote a thank you note as a child, which was partly for socioeconomic reasons, right? Poor families just don't tend to give and receive gifts from others. But also, we just didn't. So, now that you have a good solid horror at my barbarian upbringing, <laughs> imagine someone like me then moving to the South. I was oblivious. One day at church, one of my favorite little old ladies told a story about not being able to listen to someone and concentrate because she was so distracted by the fact that they were chewing gum, which at first surprised me because I didn't know gum was rude. And then I realized she was actually telling this story to the group to tell me to stop chewing gum because I did it all the time and it was rude. Who knew? A friend once told me out of the blue, you know what you need is a nice personalized stationery set, which she gave me, and which then sat untouched in my desk as a constant source of guilt and anxiety. One night at a fancy dinner party, I picked up the wrong wine glass, and the very nice young man next to me corrected my mistake, and I shrunk away ashamed I, like I was the dog bringing a dead squirrel into the house. Where do these systems come from? What do they do? I would learn uh, this on one level in college about the rise of this idea of chivalry in the Old South. Plantations began to mimic the royal court like a play act. Popular novels, uh, the, the plantations, uh, they were like feudal structures uh, in the medieval ages. Um, and so they tried to have the manners of that same feudal structure. And these popular novels seized onto this idea, and they painted a romantic picture of social propriety, everything in its right place, from the napkins to the silver to the slaves in the kitchen. This notion got a hold of the, the popular Southern imagination that they were a noblesse oblige, finding a source of pride in itself for its right manners, when the rest of the world disparaged it for having slaves in its kitchens. But what do these systems do? The answer is much more universal. The act of eating in particular has always had a significant system of decorum built around it for southerners or barbarians alike. Have you ever thought about how many of our manners help us avoid the process of eating, of noticing it, what we're actually doing, 
the shoveling and the chewing and the swallowing, all messy and primitive. When you see someone tearing the flesh away from a piece of fried chicken, there is such a resemblance to my dog with the dead squirrel. Groceries sell meat without bones and formed into shapes so we can pretend that we don't have a dead thing on our plate. We close our mouths when we chew to spare everyone this grisly process of taking in death. We wipe our mouths with our napkins. We use silverware to distance it from our bodies. We set ourselves apart from the beasts. Our systems save us for that moment from considering how animal-like our existence really is. This is the universal. If there's something we do not want to reckon with, we build up complicated systems around it to aid our avoidance until they become a given. Jesus shows up at a dinner party with the most important guys at church. The churchgoers gather around him, and Luke says they're watching him closely. Nothing like being scrutinized while you eat. Jesus was already famous for his dining habits. He ate with prostitutes and tax collectors and the unclean. He didn't wash properly before and after. He didn't play into this carefully constructed system. So what would he do now that he was among a respectable household. The negotiation began for who would sit where at dinner, and the system cranked into life. Which family held prominence? Whose reputation the most prestigious? Jesus watches them all, amusement written across his face, and tells a parable. When you are invited to a banquet, choose the most humble seat in the house. If you choose the most prominent, you'll feel awfully silly when the host makes you move. But if you choose the lowest, well, then you get some honor. You'll have the potential of the host bringing you forward. Now, this sounds like good advice, doesn't it? From Emily Post, maybe, about how to appear gracious at a dinner party, which means your alarm bell should be going off Jesus has never once given good advice on how to make friends and influence people and to placate the society around you. The exalted will be humbled and the humbled will be exalted. Jesus quotes from Proverbs, the advice book of his time. If we hear this through Emily Post's ears, we'll miss that Jesus is trying to destroy these systems that work on comparing ourselves to one another, our social standing, our reputations. Jesus is dismantling all the things we design to keep us appearing neat and orderly and agreeable and not at all needy and broken and dying. Jesus smashes that illusion that the kind of banquet he has in mind must begin first by letting go of these ways of finding our reputations by comparisons with others. Of course, we know that he'll follow his advice on the path to humility himself. 
The exaltation that he talks about, the embodiment of God's glory, will be upended in the humiliation of the cross. But Jesus starts out somewhere else, at a dinner table. The act of eating, this masticating, slurping, messy, earthy experience. And the church has been learning slowly to take Jesus seriously at what he said. That it's the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind who should be invited. That the banquet should never have restrictions. This banquet is the one we have here. We do have our good silver out for the occasion, but it's set for you, those with nothing to give, and all that is you, the walled off or the tamped down or pushed away, the great and the humiliating, all of it is brought to the banquet of God. We take in this broken body into our broken bodies that we might see everyone on the same level.